When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to a spooky edition of Bald Move Prestige. That's right. Jim and I have decided to close out the month of October, the spookiest of all months, the scariest of all months, the most jack-o'-lantern laden. The only really only jack-o'-lantern laden. <laughs> yeah, uh, you can get away with a pumpkin unless, for Thanksgiving, but it's not going to have eyes. Unless Jack Skellington gets his way one year, uh, mm. confined to the month of October. And we decided to close out with some prestige horror. And what could be more prestigious, more horrific than the granddaddy, arguably, well, you might argue about this later on, uh, very first slasher flick, flick ever, 1960s Psycho, of course, directed by the great Alfred Hitchcock cock, Hitchcock, I just hitched, I had a hitch to my cock right as I was trying to say his name, <laughs> wow. the great Alfred Hitchcock, master of suspense, uh, screenplay written by Joseph Stefano based on the novel Psycho by Robert Block. It stars Anthony Perkins, who unfortunately was pretty typecast after this movie. In fact, I can I can only think of one post-Psycho movie I've ever seen him in, Disney's 1979's The Black Hole. Uh, uh, I thought you were going to say Psycho 2, because he's also oh, in that. <laughs> I've not seen any of the, the, the subsequent Psychos. Vera Miles, uh, who we both saw in The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Uh, she was also in uh, the other John Wayne vehicle, The Searchers. Also, hmm. John Gavin, uh, who was Julius Caesar in Spartacus, also came out in 1960 by a great director, Stanley Kubrick. Uh, he's also in Thoroughly Modern Millie. Bald move fans might, I don't know, old, old school bald, bald move fans might re- recall that film. Also, Martin Balsam who is probably most famous as the number one juror from 12 Angry Men. Mm. He also is in Breakfast at Tiffany's and All the President's Men. And, of course, Janet Leigh, Lee Leigh, uh, who starred previously to this in Little Women uh, and also Orson Welles' film noir classic Touch of Evil, which kind of inspired Hitchcock in, in some ways to try to outdo the old man, the dueling old men of cinema. Uh, this was a movie this, and also the soundtrack was com- composed by Bernard Herman. And interestingly enough, uh, it was so good that it actually changed Hitchcock's mind on what he wanted. He actually wanted the classic uh, shower stabbing scene to be silent, to emphasize the woman screaming and vulnerability. And Herman <laughs> said, hold them on to my beer. Uh, <laughs> let me do the greatest sound cue of all time. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it's the uh, you know distinctive, you know, as as timed with the, the the slashing and whatnot, very effective. Oh yeah. Um, so this is a this is a very classic spooky film. It's an old film. It's shot in black and white. Although I always assumed it was because that's what movies were shot in. No, movies were well into the color era. Uh, this was kind of a passion project. Uh, Hitchcock wanted to break a lot of rules, transgress a lot of societal norms and values. And the studio said, well, if you want to do that, do it on your own fucking dime. So he had to pinch a lot of pennies Um, and still came up with something. So here's the thing. I'm 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 stalling to get to the point, which is (laughs) I didn't like this film. 
Wow. I, this film did not work on me. Some old movies, like I can think of like Casablanca, Maltese Falcon, that I unironically enjoy as a fairly modern piece of filmmaking. This movie does feel dated, but it is a movie that I never less uh, found myself admiring uh, for all the reasons you okay. admire. It's it's suspense. Uh, it's like, you know, and, and the more I read about it, the more this really was a taboo groundbreaking film yeah, yeah. that shocked audiences, both in the violence and the sensuality. This is the era where Dick Van Dyke was still getting into a separate bed with his wife on TV. <laughs> it's. Sh- it shows a toilet, the very first toilet shown on screen, flushing. Very oh my first? god, that's where, that's where in the world. This is the first on-screen the flush hell? of a toilet. This is where the, this is where the pee and the poop goes. Does Hitchcock know that, or does he just think it's where you 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 get get you get rid of your shredded, uh, incriminating evidence? No, it this this must have been, hmm. and I was thinking that as I was watching this, yeah, yeah. what must it have been like? To never seen someone stabbed with a knife, never see blood spatter on the walls, never see like and, and to have a four minute scene dedicated to it. Some some truly shocking visuals in this film. And that's to say nothing uh, of the the final uh, part of this film, which I'm sure would be more than taboo at the time. Oh, um, it, sure. would, it would cause people to get up and leave the theater, I imagine. Uh, so. That's the thing. I I did not like this film. I don't think it held up for me personally, but I do admire it, and I do admire its place in in cinematic horror. What did you think, Jim? Have have you seen Psycho before? No. Uh, This is shockingly. This might be the most shocking thing about Psycho is I've never seen it before. It's (laughs) one of those classic horror films, and there are a few of those that are just, you know, they they came out enough before my time that they weren't really like playing on television a lot at the time, right? Um. And so I didn't I didn't even see them in an edited form. Uh, And this is one. And I have somehow managed over the last, well, 20 years of this. I wasn't alive. Last 60 years uh, to dodge any any substantial spoilers about this movie, period. Holy Uh, shit. Yeah, I did not know what the end of this movie was all about. And so, wow, I was I I felt like an audience member in 1960, though, with very, very updated sensibilities, Um, like watching this, you know, this felt like an older movie. This this wasn't shocking to me in really any way, because I've seen a thousand horror movies that are, you know, a hundred times worse than this. So. Sure. Uh, but I found myself like getting drawn into the story and, and when the subversion comes each time it comes because it comes multiple times in the movie, right? There's a subversion with the protagonist who you think is going to be around and then gone. Um, it, mm. I fell for that. And then I was thinking, okay, what is this mystery with Norman and his mother and, and this, this killing, like, how is this happening? If his mother has been dead and I'm trying to puzzle it all out in my head thinking, Oh, Norman swap bodies and all and I did not see the end of this movie coming in any way. And it totally fuck. mind fucked me. It it's still so, a very if you don't know anything about Psycho, it's still a very effective movie. I'm so glad because that that that's probably the explanation. This movie is so famous. And, you know, I've talked yeah. about this before. Long before I saw a lot of horror films, I kind of dipped my toe in the water by watching those Things where I can't remember from Bravo stars or AMC or whatever, but they'd have the top 100 scariest movies. And it was like a five hour thing. They would do like 20 movies an hour and they would always have like these famous people and like, you know, people like Clive Barker and 
mm-hmm. different people on talking about these great movies and the particular scenes. And it always in each like three minute set with like th- an iconic reveal from the movie. Right. Yeah. So like that thing just laid bare all because I think it and also like uh, at the t- at the bottom of the hour, every time you got to like movie number 80 or movie number 60 or moving up, they gave it a little bit extra juice. And Psycho is one of those ones got a little extra juice. So they spent like 10 minutes talking about it. They just walked you through the whole thing. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, had the like the chair going around revealing the, you know, I, you know what? Yeah. In case you want to yeah. have the gym experience, <laughs> I'll just I'll just leave all this to your imagination. But but they just really walked you through everything. So I found the experience of watching this film was oddly like I'm tapping my foot waiting for like because I, I always gotcha. Oh, geez. I can't even seen talk it before? about no, no, okay, but okay. I felt like I had. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, Um, because this this is one of the most famous films with some of the most famous shots that have been lampooned <laughs> and parodied and aped and imitated so many times. I, I can't even get yeah. into it without spoiling but like I thought a certain event happened like right away in the film and I'm like waiting, waiting, waiting 45 minutes. It finally happens. And then it's just you're kind of waiting like it seems if you know all of the twist coming, it seems kind of like, well, Jesus Christ, of course. Why are we belaboring this point? But it's so interesting this that it that it completely worked on you. Uh, yeah, totally. So cool. I, I hope <laughs> this is an old ass film. Maybe other people have. I'm, I'm glad I didn't do a bunch of heavy fucking spoilers. So yeah, uh, and I'd seen a lot of those shots that you're talking about, right? The, I've seen the the images of the reveals, but out of context and not really mm. understanding like that this is part of Psycho. So it, gotcha. yeah, when when those things hit, I was like mind blown, kind of stuff. Um, I, I did enjoy the experience throughout though it wasn't like oh those were the big moments and that's all this movie really has going for it is the twist i thought the performances were extremely effective especially norman bates um sure what, what's that guy's name uh anthony perkins? anthony perkins yeah he he is great as norman bates and i imagine in 1960 Love his restaurants <laughs> right yes uh in 1960 this was probably a a very unconventional performance is how I would oh, yeah. probably assume it was. And it seemed like that was a deliberate choice by Hitchcock. Like, you know, you've got this guy who was a rising star at the time known for, he was kind of like, um, imagine if you, you know, like, like Jimmy Stewart is, is, or Tom Hanks is spiritual successor, the Jimmy Stewart. Well, this uh-huh. was going to be the actual, like, you know, this is another Jimmy, all American, good looks, wholesome, right. Open, honest performance. And Hitchcock saw that in him and uh, subverted it. Decided to, to, to ruin effect. his career. Sure. <laughs> it's 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 funny. Yeah, because I, I guess uh, I guess Perkins asked him when he was being cast is like, do you think this is going to be bad for my career? And Hitchcock says, you know what? It might be because hmm. it's it's it is it is it, it does trade on those strengths of his and completely kind of like hijack and and again since this was so shocking at the time i'm sure that it was just hard for you know to accept this i think it's a little bit easier nowadays because we you know we, we see this stuff happen all the time but it was harder back in the studio system where people were groomed for certain roles like yeah uh vera miles uh the, the janet lay's sister in this movie was being groomed to, re- to be the next grace kelly for hitchcock the next great you know hmm. okay. muse and so so people were kind of like in these roles, like you're either a leading man or your character, all that even more so than it was today. So like if you get typecast as 
you know, uh, a serial killer a psycho uh, in, in yeah. the because because this is all like loose. I don't want to get into much of the, the way of spoilers. Um, so maybe we should just tell people what the movie is about or like yeah. you know, kind of what they're in for. And then we can just get into the spoilers and, and talk freely. That sounds good. OK, so Psycho is about a woman who is in love with a man who is uh, encumbered by debt. And he's got a, 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 a ex-wife who's he's paying alimony to. He can barely afford to pay rent in a shoebox thing. Doesn't it's the classic. He doesn't think he can marry this this girl because he's too fucking broke. Um, and she gets the idea to steal forty thousand dollars from her boss and run off and just start a new life with this man. Uh, and. That's the set she she she's going on the long drive to be with him and she happens to stop at a hotel to rest for the night and the movie goes places from there. Uh, I assumed that's what this movie was going to be entirely Uh, because obviously Hitchcock known for his suspense, right? Um, Sure. His his sense of paranoia um, and using that for the audience and. Oh, boy, there's a lot of that. Like Rear Window. We watched that not too Uh long ago, and there's so much suspense, so much paranoia in that movie. I expected, you know, when they start in with the the paranoid stuff in this movie, I'm like, okay, that's what this movie is going to be, and I'm feeling it, and it's working. Sure. Yep. That's not exactly what this movie is. Yeah, it's funny because like uh, you, you mentioned Rear Window, which we both watched not even a year ago and quite enjoyed. Like, I, I think that worked yeah. uh, almost 100 percent on almost every level it intended to. And this this one, it, it just didn't for me. Um, but like, let's let's get into it because you, you spoilers from here on out. So you mentioned that, like, you found the, the movie enjoyable to watch. And I guess I did, too. Like, I found myself kind of getting into the initial scene uh with gavin and lay you know like it was um sensual you know for the time like i i clearly like she's wearing this very sexy bustier they're laying on the same bed tousled they're talking about the great sex they just had like (laughs) already like you know sensor alarm bells must be going off all over hollywood um and that first shot that just slowly pushes in over the course there's some crazy fucking zoom from across the city of Phoenix, Arizona into this window. Like it's, it's a great scene and it kind of engrosses you in and it gives you that same kind of voyeuristic vibe that you got from uh, rear window for sure. And scenes like him having Norman Bates uh, having dinner uh, with this lady uh, surrounded by all these taxidermy birds of prey and all like that. There's stuff mm-hmm. that just fucking works in this movie. But I just felt like I was always waiting for those shoes to drop. Those things I knew that were coming. Uh, it's like, gotcha. And it, I was, I was impatient because here's the thing. Yeah, and I yeah. think this like, it started in early this movie from my, it, it had a reputation for being a, a, a zigzag movie that you thought was going to be about this protagonist. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Janet Lee at that point was, or lay was, was very famous. Um, it'd be like Scarlett Johansson being in a movie. And I thought she dies within like 10 or 15 minutes. Oh, so like all those tensions building things of her in traffic and looking and like, Oh my God, there's my boss. And, you know, going over to long monologues in her head of what must be like that stuff just felt excruciating because I'm just waiting. And then they had that long (laughs) dinner sequence. 
And I'm kind of like, Jesus Christ, when is the yeet, yeet, yeet going to happen? <laughs> when it finally I, comes, it's like, wow. it's like 50 minutes into the film. And yeah. it like that. I spent so much of that first half of the film toe tapping because of this goddamn AMC horrors thing. I watched like 20 years ago. <laughs> it it kind of kind of not ruined the film, but it definitely it, it definitely it. bled the effectiveness of it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I can get that. Um. It's crazy because I had the opposite experience. I assumed that the rant, rant, rant stuff came at the very end because, ah. you know, how are you going to kill the main protagonist t- 10 minutes into the movie? So I wasn't right. expecting it at all. I was I was not prepared for any of it. And when she gets in the shower, I'm like, this is exactly the the imagery of the scene that sure. I know is coming. Sure. This, is, it, is it like a prelude to the big right. is this foreshadow? What's he doing here? And then no, just happens. And I'm like, OK. And then it's it's interesting the change that happens. And maybe yeah. maybe I'm getting ahead of myself here. But the change that happens in the middle of this movie, because there's. You know, we had our main protagonist, but she's dead. So who is the protagonist now? And in some weird way, it becomes Norman Bates. It's 100 percent, even though he is complicit. Well, he's he's an accomplice to to this murder at this point um, for for covering it up and hiding and all that stuff. But you're still like you're looking at the car going, is that going to sink? You know, the detective comes by and you're like, is he going to figure out? I I don't know if I want Norman to get caught here. It's a very strange feeling watching this movie. It it is. So so the, that's that's a, those are some points that really worked on me because those are lesser famous scenes that I did not know were coming. Like when gotcha. uh, the, the whole thing where they switch protagonist from Janet Leigh to uh, the Perkins uh, character. Uh, I keep on want to say Hannibal Lecter, but it's Norman Bates. Yeah. yeah. When they roll that, that car into the swamp and it hitches, I had the kind of like, what the fuck? Right. What the fuck is going to happen? Like I is like, how is he going? And then it sinks in and he has that smirk. And, and I read that like Hitchcock, this was like a litmus test that he put in for test audiences because he wanted you. He wanted to go one step further from the voyeur aspect of just watching. He wanted you to be an accomplice in the crime. Mm, so worked. he wanted you to feel that like, oh, my God, he's going to get caught. And I kind of don't want him to. And yeah. he heard like, you know, when the first screening he he played it for, like there was like nervous kind of titters when the car stopped and then kind of like audible sighs of relief when it finally sank. He's like, I got the, I got yeah. him. I got him right where I wanted to. And that worked as well as like, I didn't know about the whole fucking private eye investigation. Gotcha. Um, so like all that stuff that was going on with Arborgast, mm-hmm. um, which is the last time I've, the only time I've ever heard that word is in connection to the expanse. Yes. Yeah, uh, and I looked into it and it's like some kind of ro- like there must be some kind of meaning to this, but it's some kind of obscure Roman figure. Anyway, uh, that stuff I kind of and then like when it started going into the home stretch and, you know, uh, her his sister or her sister and, and her boyfriend went out and put, put the screws to Norman. I got to back into toe tapping waiting you know, mm. well, when she goes in and she sees the mirror goes, ah, and I'm like, that's going to be it. No, it's not that. And she goes down. Oh, fuck. Yes. The fruit seller, of course. Um, but that stuff. Yeah, it's like I went into toe tapping mode uh, for like the last act. And it was uh, not great. And you know what? I think Hitchcock knew it, that this was a movie that really, you know, rises and falls on its twists um, because yeah. part of the marketing of this film was like he had cutouts of himself 
tapping a watch with a big thing saying the the owner of this movie theater has been put on pain of death not to allow anyone into the theater once it has begun because you know the mm. you know be, the pristine experiences required for psycho and they had in the lobby they had records playing that would have like the main theme and then every five minutes be five minutes to psycho or ten minutes to psycho five minutes so it's like this whole thing of like oh this is an experience and you must go in you know unspoiled and i think he's onto something because yeah. when you know just the facts of the matter uh, and you're just kind of waiting for them to happen, boy, it really it, it that, that tension just does not build build at all. Yeah. A lot of movies aren't completely ruined by spoilers in the way that this movie is. I, I feel sure. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, you don't want to just be waiting for the big moments. You, you want to be engrossed in in the emotion of the movie. Right. Um, you you yeah. want to be pulled along on that ride that Hitchcock's trying to take you on. And, I, you know, I think that it also hurts subsequent viewings because like I if, if uh, yeah. you know, I imagine it's really rewarding to watch this two and three times to be like, God, you know, where were all the hints? Because there's a lot of man. Hitchcock is really good. You, you mentioned about like the fact that like you when you got to the shower scene, you're like, well, maybe maybe this is a prelude. And I think it's because like he's done a lot of subliminal stuff like, mm-hmm. you know, when she you first see Viv, uh, uh, uh you first see Lay getting ready. She's got white, you know, um, uh, lingerie on. It's all very virginal and pristine. When she decides to take the cash, you see her getting dressed and she's she's wearing black lingerie. And then he kind of sets up uh, her shower is like uh, like a baptism. Like she's decided, you know what? Hmm. This isn't who I am. Yeah. I need to get my life back on track. I'm going to march back in, give this money, make it up and do whatever I she is like starting to unburden. She's going to get escape the trap she set for herself. Mm-hmm. And that's what, you know, more than any of the other shit, that's what does Norman in because he just can't fathom being able to break yourself out of those cycles. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in your mind, you're probably like, oh, yeah, well, this is just a shower and she's going to and then then it's just all going to go pear shaped her trying to get back. No. Nah, yeah, I was happens. expecting like Norman to go out and sabotage her car or something. And I'm like, sure. You know, all the all the kind of tropes of modern horror, but this is like somewhere between, you know, modern horror or, you know, modern slasher film and like classic horror film um, and classic suspense film that he liked to make. That's the other thing. um, Some of the the foreshadowing and then things that he's doing with shots like in that scene where she's like in her hotel room and she she gets killed and then Norman comes in and he's cleaning the scene up. The entire time uh, that he's in there cleaning up, the camera is kind of following him with the money in the foreground. Like you, the the shots that Hitchcock's aligning almost always have the money in them. Mm-hmm. And I, I couldn't help but think that that's like, I, I don't know if that's a red herring. Like the, the money is a red herring in the, in the entirety of the film, right? Like it's, it's, it's literally a MacGuffin. He identified, <laughs> like he, yeah. he's one of the ones that, that, uh, pioneered the term MacGuffin and he refers to the cash in this movie as a MacGuffin. But, but to the, but to the people in the movie, it's kind of a red herring, right? It's like, well, yeah. they're going there, they're solving a murder, but the money had nothing to do with the murder. No, no, not at all. Not yeah. At all. So it's, it's kind of wild that he's like putting it front and center in, these shots uh, when Norman's going back because Norman doesn't even ever discover it. He throws. That's what I was thinking. I was as I was going to ask. I was like, did Norman had no idea about the? Ca- I mean, that's the thing. I don't think so. 
who who knows how many people that the Normans killed over the years. But what finally tripped them up is this woman who stole forty thousand dollars and made off and had people that wanted her fucking found. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you know, there's no amount of because I I looked it up. That's equivalent like a four hundred thousand dollars in today's wow. Money. Okay, it's like half of like you know secretary runoff half million from a, a local lawyer, or a banker, or whatever. Hell yeah, there'd be an investigation above and beyond yeah. just, you know, an attractive blonde woman. Uh, you know, you know, fucking society loves to to fall over themselves, finding finding them types. But sure. add add five hundred thousand dollars of cash to it. And then holy hell. So. Yeah. And, and like this concept of like voyeurism and putting the audience into the, the action, you know, like you got all these POV slasher shots, which becomes, you know, this this is going to be inspire everyone from John Carpenter on down. Mm-hmm. Uh, he shot this film with a 50 millimeter lens um, because that's the, the closest to the human eyes, I guess, aperture or field of view. Hmm. Okay. Uh, you know, you, when people say that the camera adds 10 pounds, they're not lying. Like a lens that has a wider angle than that will actually reveal slightly more of your face, uh, making it look fatter. Um, it's, hmm. it's not like the, the you that you see in the mirror is not the you that you see in a selfie. That's why you look, you, you know, you tend to look worse. Um, so this 50 millimeter lens actually made it look like you are seeing this thing. And I guess it probably works on a subconscious level, or it might be one of those things. Some of this stuff, I don't even know if it works. It just sounds like it does. And it, it, it yeah. and when you read it, it's like, damn, that's cool. When you read it in the history, history books, right. You know? Sure. Um, but that's that, uh, I think that worked because there's a lot of times where you are in the killer's uh, POV mm-hmm. um, and there's a lot of time where you are looking at things that you can't, you know, you're just watching, you, you know, someone's doomed, but you can't do anything about it. And being locked in that limited field of view, I think, I think did a little bit for it. Yeah. And all the stuff leading up to, I guess the protagonist's death is, well, one of the protagonist's death is interesting. Um, from from a filmmaking perspective, I don't I don't know how common this was at the time, but that scene where she's driving and she's sort of. I can't tell if she's imagining what the cops and the the house, yeah. the real estate uh, mm-hmm. office and the buyer is is doing or if they're playing the stuff that they are absolutely definitely doing over her just driving. Um, It's hard to tell if that's in thoughts. her head or not, but. There is yeah. a smile on her face when when they're talking, you know, they're going crazy about it. So I'm thinking she's kind of enjoying this, which says it's in her head, um, but it could also be happening. Yeah, I, I had the same thoughts. Like, is this her imagining the effect that she's having or is this kind of like yeah. this very rudimentary way of telling a split story? Where, you know, meanwhile, this, you know, like just letting the viewer know that like things are because like I there's so many things when you read like the history of things like Casablanca and Maltese Falcon and like why the I've I said this story a million times, but like why the editing feels so glacial is because filmmakers were worried mm-hmm. that like they would lose people like, you know, if you just have one guy like get up from his desk and then show up at the next location, people be like, what the fuck? Where are we? Who is this person? <laughs> you got to show him walk across open the door, walk across his lobby, get in the elevator, open the elevator, cross the lobby, get into his car, motor off, arrive at the establishing shot, get it. It takes fucking forever to, to, to transition these movies, but they were like, 
You know, yeah. it, these were ground like Maltese Falcon is one of those another like groundbreaking modern films where audience were like, holy fuck, this is going so fast. So like Hitchcock had to make sure that he, you know, put these breadcrumbs out for people to to, to pick up on. Um, and, and I feel like that's where a lot of this kind of dated shit <laughs> where it feels is because we just our use of like like we are so contracted uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and everything's like so, so like, you know, like. It, it, at the time, it was amazing that he had 70 shots in a four minute sequence. Well, your average music video has three times that much in, in <laughs> sure. about the same amount of time. So, like, we are just much more visually sophisticated in storytelling. But mm. like this was, you know, I, I, I this is this is super pioneering and innovative for for you know, 1960. Yeah, it felt like it. Um, that voiceover stuff. I, I I know they did voiceovers before, right? But it's always like the hard boiled detective talking about, uh, right. you know, it, it, the the night was dark and I was tired. Uh, and all. The, the dame's legs were long and uh... <laughs> right. <laughs> and in walks the damsel. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's uh-huh. it's that kind of stuff. It's not like it, it's narrative stuff. It's not really like storytelling stuff. I if you if you know what I mean, right? Um, yeah, it's here not they're establishing like, plot and f- furthering things, advancing things, you know. Yeah, n- well, and nobody, nobody in this scene is is telling you what's happening, right? It's just happening, mm-hmm. and you're expected to pick up on it. And I, I liked that part of it. It felt more modern than a lot of movies around this time that I had, had seen do voiceovers. Uh, the other thing you mentioned is like the the pacing of this movie and how audiences might get lost. I was surprised at how quickly this movie got into it um there there mm-hmm. are two scenes then she steals the money and we are off to the races man it's mm-hmm. it does not waste much time with setup although i would say that like maybe the first half of this movie is set up in a way uh up, up until she dies so yeah i i didn't feel like it was all set up though right i felt like when the subversion happened i didn't go well god they wasted all my time in the first half of this movie now I'm pissed off. I was more like, oh, that's interesting. Where is this going to go? It does feel like and I guess that uh, Hitchcock was not very confident in this project. In fact, he intentionally shot it to where it could be separated into two hours of television and sold to a television network as like a two parter event. And huh. I think that's exactly where those things like that scene is yeah. right at that like 50 minute mark right at the halfway to and there's even a bunch of visual cues like the money is wrapped up in a newspaper that has this headline just has the word new emblazoned on it and once Norman kills her and he's going about cleaning that newspapers conspicuously in a foreground to suggest as if in fact a new movie has begun we are no longer giving a shit about Janet Leigh and uh, her travails but this is about Norman Bates and whether he can get away with this uh, this murder and I, I, I think it does feel like it is two two piece parts of a made for TV movie Um, because it was even shot, you know, to say he was doing everything he could to save money like black and white. uh, I guess partially a decision to make it not as bloody and graphic and and, and crazy, but also budget saving. Uh, He didn't use a traditional film crew. He hired a television unit because they were Mm -hmm. cheaper. Um, so this does feel a little bit smaller and more intimate. It does feel like something that could be made now. No fucking way. I don't know what he would have to do this movie to get it aired on television in 1960. <laughs> it, but, yeah, that's not going to happen. Yeah. But you know, reshoots are a thing. So there are probably networks what today it, that wouldn't air this thing. 
what did you think? Because like, let's talk about um, how transgressive this movie was. Because we talked about the yeah. toilet thing, right? Sure, you sure. Know, the 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 pee pee poo first hole. toilet um, ever seen by human beings. Yeah. But this is the first time, like, uh, and and the thing is, is Hitchcock is kind of a uh, he knew what he was doing. He knew the things that he was doing and why they would be shocking. Like when he shot this um, slasher scene. He says he was careful to never, you know, because he had to do all this. Like he hired a playboy playmate to come out and stand naked in the shower three days. So he get the can, you know, because I guess Janet Leigh is a little modest. And this uh, particular playboy model is famous for being a nudist. And she's just standing around being naked and getting the cameras and (laughs) planning out all the shots and all that stuff. Because he because he said he wanted to make sure there was no nipples. And he also wanted to make sure there was no knives actually penetrating flesh. Yeah. However. Freeze frame analysis will show that there is a conspicuous shot of that knife going into her abdomen about an inch or so. Uh, Hmm. And there is at least one errant nipple. And he knew that these were in the film. And there was this, I guess, really shocking overhead shot of Janet Leigh lying in a pool of blood, kind of pouring down the drain and all that stuff. And he told the editor that we're putting this in as camouflage. This is the thing where the, they's like, Oh, Mr. Hitchcock, you've gone too far. You have to, this is just, and he's going to take that out. So they don't notice the nipple and the, the knife entering the midsection. And he thought that the audiences would like, you know, like almost um, what what do they call that subliminally see the knife entering the woman. And what the, you know, it's it's like, again, shock used Hershey syrup instead of blood. Because it was, had the realistic texture and thickness, mm-hmm. and he actually stabbed the water, some sort of melon. I forget what type of melon it is to get that kind of like wet schlicking into the human body sound. But that must have blown people away. I mean, we're we're living in the era of Suicide Squad, the Suicide Squad, and the boys, and you know, Kill Bill, and every graphic uh, uh, horror movie you've ever seen. But like, no one had seen this before. Yeah. No, it's it's. It worked. I, I thought I might have seen a knife or two uh, go in and I didn't notice any nipples, but I, that is a common tactic um, yeah. among filmmakers, even nowadays, right? Like, hey, yeah. we want to push this Smoke R screen. rating. Let's put in sure. some truly egregious shit so that when yeah. because they, they need to come back and tell us that something has to be cut here because it is egregious. Yeah. yeah. Um, right. And then, yeah, they, they put stuff in there specifically to be cut so they can hit their R rating. It sounds like Hitchcock might have been the inventor of that tactic. <laughs> a, a, a blade of armor. Yeah, because this is a very tame movie by modern standards, but you just keep coming back to, like, again, how how shocking it was. One of the reasons that Anthony Perkins' career stalled out is because, you know, the dressing as a yeah. woman, uh, being con- mind controlled by your dead mother uh, and and slashing women to pieces was taboo. On like multiple levels, you and people say. just couldn't see him. People just couldn't see him the same way. Um, yeah, it's it, it's it's just interesting how how different I guess the times are and what what blows people away. Like for example, um, I guess there was a lot more lines to suggest an incestuous relationship between Norman Bates and his mother, which I actually hmm. picked up on. I had in my notes like I um that there's this one i think it must be the one thing that survived the edit where he says you know a son's a poor substitute for a lover mm-hmm. and the die that it, 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 it kind of lets it hang out there for a minute before janet lake continues on to her her shtick um 
So like even with a lot of that stuff being removed, there's still that thorough, especially with our modern understanding of these things like. Yeah, Norman was probably molested by his mom um, and, and, and who knows what other kind of unspeakable mental abuse that he went through. Um, and they yeah. compounded by the, the rejection, you know, when she finally got a man and then he's mm-hmm. no longer the star in her sky. Like, I, I felt it actually showed a really compelling look and sympathetic look at how a person could arrive at this particular type of crazy. Yeah, I thought so, too. Um and I, I would say that Norman remains a protagonist all the way up until very close to the end of this movie. Like when you, you know, and there's some separation between Norman and Norman as his mother, right? Too that you have to do. It's, it's like, well, mm-hmm. yeah, Norman, the Norman half of Norman is kind of a victim of the mother half of Norman. It's, mm-hmm. it's an interesting twist. We'll, we'll talk more certainly about that ending here in a bit, but I, I, some of the stuff I was picking up on that you were talking about with like the mother relationship being a little weird, a little uh, too intense at, early mm-hmm. in the movie. There's a lot of foreshadowing going on there that mm-hmm. I, I didn't, you know, not knowing the end of this movie, I, I picked up on some weird level of attachment here, right? When he's talking to, uh, Marilyn, is it Marilyn? Um, Marion, rather. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he's saying things like, you know, a, a boy is a mother, a mother is a boy's best friend, and I'm like, that's a little weird. That's not right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no. And, and then like you, you don't, you know, he's talking about not leaving the people that you're that you love, and I get that. That makes a certain amount of sense. But all of this is like subliminally almost putting this idea of extreme over attachment in your head. Yeah. And, and the performance there is what really sells it too, because he at times slips into a mode where he is a little bit unhinged. Right. But it's not sure. It's not particularly dangerous or, or it doesn't seem like it has a potential to turn to violence here yet. Um, it's not until the end of the movie where you figure out how deep this goes, but it, there was always a tinge of that in the performance. But then he'd snap right back into being sort of a, a perfectly normal, nice uh, guy. And it, yeah, I felt that tension throughout the whole thing, just subliminally. Yeah, and I think they're trying to like before they had the psychological words for it, kind of gesture at this concept of a split personality disorder. Yeah, where like Norman Bates wasn't dangerous. You know, he's horny, uh-huh. maybe a little bit of a peeping tom, but whenever his equilibrium equilibrium of his situation, the balance of it got threatened by a romantic interest Mm -hmm. or, and it wasn't just like, you know, literally his mother possessing him, but like anytime the condition that led to his first murder, you know, that sense of like, Oh my God, I might have my mother being taken from me by someone or rivaled their affection that his internal mother figure would take over and then remove the threat remove the danger so the yeah. status quo could could continue. I thought that was pretty pretty interesting. There there's a um, sort of like bipolar relationship there, right? Cuz Norman his yeah. original sin was he killed his mother and her lover in uh a fit of jealousy, right? Because he was no longer right. the center of her boys, world. Now his mother yeah. through him is going and doing that, right? So because it's an expression of the guilt. It's like the guilt re-expressing yes. and also the desire for his mother to still be alive, the inability mm-hmm. to deal with her death. And like you said, they're, they're, 
uh, that's one of the things I found very uh, distracting is how many like obvious allusions to this, like the fact that huh. he's a taxidermist, you know, um, he's surrounded by corpses that have been artfully posed to look like they're alive, you know, things like that. Like they're, mm-hmm. they, they really have. I mean, that's why I think it's a rewarding rewatch is going through and seeing how much of that stuff. So you, you had no idea that he was the mother. No idea. Zero. So I, I imagine you're thinking that their mother is like some diabolical figure that is actually coming mm-hmm. out to murder these people. Oh, yeah. And they do a lot of good things. So, like, anytime you hear his mother hectoring him in the background, that's Anthony Perkins giving the lines. Okay. But Hitchcock audio processed it to remove a lot of the bass and the timber from his voice. And then he layered in a very slight uh, um, ADR track with three different actresses kind nice. of speaking as an ensemble to like give it like it's recognizably Anthony Perkins when you go back and, but there's still another quality to it the feminine quality that they're bringing in so like and yeah he's in two pla- like I, I guess that all works because like I you know I'm here alone well who's that up in the house you know like they, they have this thing where it's like the mother is the threat the mother is the threat and yeah, yeah when he comes out screaming I'm Norma Bates at the end then I guess the mother was the threat Um yeah yeah, no, it's, it's that's a sick shot too at the end of the movie where they superimpose is. the mother's skull over his face. Holy fuck, that's another one. I didn't know that shot was coming, and that shot kind of a little spine ch- uh, t- chilling. Yeah, yeah, as they drag the the car out of the swamp. Yeah, that's and it, I guess like the the way all that the the multiple dissolve of his face, kind of with that like growing smirk because it's the mother. Mm-hmm. It's the mother like inside him uh, framing. Uh, the son for all the murder, you know, and does the mother ah, think she's going to get wouldn't even hurt to fly. D- does she think she's going to get away with it because of that? Like she doesn't realize she is Norman as well. And I, if he goes away, she the, goes the, away. The depths or? of the, the, the depths of the depravity, yeah, or the, yeah. the craziness is that they like he at, at, at some base level is not even aware that they're a separate entity. Right. Uh, in fact, maybe the mother's just dominant now, like uh, whatever. Uh, was Norman is just pushed way, 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 way down. Um, yeah, right. it's I, that. That was kind of fat. I I thought that that angle was fascinating, and like they even like the dissolve went from Norman in the cell, mm-hmm. uh, smirking with his mother coming out, and then they overlay her skeletal, skeletal face, yeah. and then they overlay the 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 car being pulled up, and but the way that all lines up is that chain looks like it's going around his neck. The oh. way to superimpose mm-hmm. like. Like his mother drug him down into this lifestyle, or maybe it's a hangman's noose representing. Could um, be, yeah. But like, yeah, I mean, shit, the shot is, I mean, it's pretty, pretty, pretty sick there, Alfred. Yeah, you especially pull, with off 60s and, pull off some nice shots there. Tech. You know, I mean, the, the, you could easily do that nowadays. It took a little bit of skill to do that back then. Let's, let's talk about yeah. some of the things I don't like about this movie because, okay, we're, we're in that section of the film. Um, I think the end of this movie is both brilliant and ridiculously bad um, mm-hmm. in ways. I think that the psychologist is one of the worst scenes I've seen in a film. It's terrible, but almost yeah, necessary. It's, it's cover your eyes bad for the time. Yeah, for the time. Like I'm thinking 1960. How many people are even going to know what schizophrenia or split personality disorder would even be 
Correct. Yeah, cross dressing, all that. Like you, you had to have a psychologist literally come in and be oh, like, right. no, 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 it's not just just so people didn't get because like I think uh, uh, that's another thing that like Hitchcock was deathly afraid that the censors like when a man come in dressed like a woman slashing people, they're like, no, nope, fuck, no, nope, <laughs> shut it. This is against all the that. Na- and and he had to have like a doctor kind of like, you know, no, it's that's not what it is. It's it's it that's what it looks like but it's actually just uh, a type of criminal insanity it's not some kind of sexual deviancy kind of thing right but but the but that whole thing to a modern audience to my modern eyes is cover your eyes bad uh i didn't need it although i I would argue that without it it, well a it's just a big exposition about like oh yeah okay what you the structure of the scene is bad yeah 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 Yeah, i I don't like the scene to begin with um i also think without that scene that very bad scene that wouldn't be there in a modern movie because of mm-hmm. you know uh, uh, the sophistication of audiences has grown uh without that scene the movie isn't very good actually because how do hmm. you it, it, he does he does nothing in this movie to convey um the resolution of it until that scene right that scene is telling you everything that you need to know to understand this movie and what was going on with norman bates without that scene this movie doesn't make any sense so so there would have to be like if you take that scene out you have to replace it with a lot of other stuff that more artistically tells us what was going on with norman bates right i feel like this movie is like an 11 out of 10 you know, again, for adjusting for its time and all era, if they just smash cut from Norman Bates being overpowered to him sitting like a jail cell slamming over him and going into that monologue about his mother and then pulling the car out of the swamp. But that's like, to a modern audience. I don't in 1960. I don't think anybody would have understood. But people would have figured, I mean, you know, like we, we've gone through some mind bending films and like people figure it out. You don't need like. Christopher Nolan didn't need to come in at the end of Inception and have like a smash cut to Michael Caine saying, you see what's happened is there's an ambiguity between what Mal thinks he sees and the thing and the spinning top and the fact that he's so distracted by his love of his children. He doesn't even care what's real. Like, what the fuck? You, you, you people will fit. Yeah, you're right. Most. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, maybe even a lot of people walk out and they're like, it's just like a big what the fuck. And it's thrilling and it's exciting. And then they talk to some of their friends and then there's a newspaper article. Like it, it just it, it, I feel like it gets out and you don't need that. Now, I think Hitchcock needed it because, like I said, otherwise, I think the censors would get crazy thinking that this is some yeah. kind of subversive psychosexual like moral push. It already is all that stuff. That, but right. Like, you know, he was trying to defensively make the film. And unfortunately, yeah, like it's much more modern film if you just take that out. It is. And just just skip all that. Just go right to him sitting in the cell, regressing into his mother. And I think that that dialogue did everything like, yeah, people would figure it out. What is going on there, especially with the overlay of her face and the juxtaposition of the car. But um, yeah, I I still feel like something would be missing, although. I think you could after careful study of it. Yes. Go back. But in the moment, I think it would be hard to to pick up on what's going on without yeah. that scene. But the scene is bad. I, it's just exposition. And yeah, it's not particularly good exposition either. Uh, no. th- there's one other thing I don't like about this movie. And it's it, all of these are with the caveat that like this is a super ambitious thing that he's trying to do. And 
technology mm-hmm. of the time and the storytelling techniques of the time were not up to uh, par with what we have today. That initial crane shot that that you talked about, you know how good it is pushing into the window and the 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 uh, sort of rear window uh, voyeuristic sort of vibes we get from it. Mm-hmm. it. Technically, it's not done very well. There there are a lot of jump cuts. I like, I admire what he was going for, but it does not look very good. Oh, and Hitchcock agreed. He was miffed that because he wanted to okay. do that set to outdo, I guess, this famous. I haven't seen Touch of Evil, Orson Welles, but I guess there's like a banger mm-hmm. three minute long one to start that that tracks people mm-hmm. with the helicopter down a street and keeps on pushing it. And he wanted out. He wanted to start off from five, I think, five miles away and just get closer and closer huh. and closer with one long tracking helicopter shot into that window push. And he couldn't get. And he couldn't get it. So he has to he had yeah. to settle for a bunch of slower, smaller shots that they then dissolved into. But there is still some technical brilliance because. I don't know how they fucking pushed in from this brightly lit Phoenix, Arizona, sun, white brick facade building into that window. And you can just make out some of the details of like. Uh, uh, Janet Leigh's stockings and like the handle of a dresser and they continue mm-hmm. pushing in that dark window and then like the camera's eye, our eye adjusts to the the dimness and we slowly become aware of what's in the hotel room. Now yeah. I guess it's a very complicated shot involving the external thing, a miniature that was built that looked exactly like the outside of the building and synchronizing that with the dissolve into the, the front but like I when I first saw it as one of those things where uh, I felt like uh, watching 2001 where the the steward just plucked <laughs> that it, it broke my brain like yeah those cameras did not have near the dynamic range to pull off a shot like that how the fuck did he do it and I still don't yeah. know exactly I can I can say well it's like you know it's it's the shot and the miniature and the plate behind it and the, but like it is utterly convincing it looks like you 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 the audience zoomed in on these lovers jumped in their window and let your eyes adjust to the dimness to see the illicit things going on inside true and it was yeah that's the thing like that's why like i love these old movies because even when they don't work because of pacing or like and the further back you go you start running into acting problems where they just know how to fuck no one had invented the method yet so people are like acting you know (laughs) and that's like very jarring but that 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 is I, I, but you're always seeing like the technical flashes of brilliance and there's another yeah, one yeah. here like uh, uh there's this looping crazy crane shot following the detective going up those stairs into the mother layer that mm-hmm. you know and like it's yeah it just kind of like bounds up and swoops and goes to the ceiling and then looks down and tracks this guy and it's so absurdly dynamic it uh it it's stuff we take for because we had drones and all this other shit now, but right, like right. the the time and attention it took to pull that shit off, you know. Uh, and there are a lot of just, shots was just crazy that are like that. There are there are in some cases bizarre. There's one shot where Norman Bates is talking with the detective and he's like showing him the picture or something, and he's leaning in to look at it, and mm-hmm. he leans past the camera, and the camera is just shooting the bottom of his jaw for like. 15 seconds while he's just chewing these candy corn and talking mm. to the detective. And it's, it's a bizarre shot. Um, so it, it I guess that shot was make the... you feel off kilter. And like, he's, he's about to be caught or something. There's a lot of, 
there's a lot of bird imagery in this film, which I guess Hitchcock thinks is um, unnerving. I mean, and he made a whole movie about it. So yeah. was supposed to suggest him, his long neck being like a chicken neck and him eating that candy corn like a bird pecking cor- cor- okay. corn seed. It was yeah. literally just another big, you know, and there's like the, the Vivian Leigh's character's name or family name's Crane. Uh-huh. Uh, there, there's a lot of like bird motif in that. And that, that shot is just to reinforce that motif. Gotcha. And that's, it's, it's intentionally weird, but you didn't get what it's supposed to do, which is make you think that uh, anti or not anti Hopkins, anti Perkins mm-hmm. is uh, some weird bird man, which <laughs> right. I don't know why that's inherently terrifying, but not, not to me. Um, then there's one other shot that is very Hitchcockian and it's the one where, the detective is stabbed at the top of the stairs or the private eye is mm. stabbed <laughs> and the camera is doing, I forget the name of the technique, right? But it's, it's where it's pushing toward you and zooming out and it's yeah, giving yeah, this yeah. very strange effect. Um, it's like when Frodo first sees the, yeah. the black rider in the Shire, it's that exact, you're, 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 I think it's, you're pushing in with the focus as you're moving the camera backwards. I think you or can maybe do it both ways. Maybe it's, and, maybe and it's one of reverse, those yeah. will give you like an intense close up, a uh, very fast close up effect. The other will give but, you the but opposite. But it looks like the background's receding at yeah. an unnatural rate. Yeah. And they do that at the top of the stairs. And it felt very much like a vertigo style thing, right? Where the, the you, you feel like you're falling down those stairs with him. I will say that, like, I felt like that that's an cr- incredible shot. And it's one of those things where like, I admire the technical mastery and the imagination, but it doesn't quite work. It reminds me a lot of the final assault in rear window where it's like, <laughs> boy, the buildup and the psych, the psychological tension did not live up to the actual attack in, 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 in huh. the exact equal and opposite way that like the knife that because like, that knife attack yeah. is still kind of hard to watch. Like, it's not gory and graphic, but like. Yeah, yeah, the idea of this woman in this vulnerable thing uh, area being stabbed to death by a larger, more powerful, and the, you know, just to, I, I, I think it's, it always, it always is extra, um, horrific when people are being stabbed, especially by like long knives, longs, like just the idea that yeah. steel running through your body is is bone chilling, and this happens again and again and again, and she can't get away from it. She can't. It's it's distressing. It's it's 45 set that that part, of, even though I've seen it a million times out of context, that still was distressing, even 60 years later with yeah. all the chocolate syrup. And, you know, the, the filming techniques serve not to just make it uh, scarier, but also hide the true identity of the killer. Right. Which is is great, because like if they're not going to show I'm the actually, blood and the knife, they're not going to show the killer. I'm actually amazed, and I guess this was a woman. They uh, Anthony Perkins was not on the set. They actually had three different women portray of three different sizes they had a, a dwarf woman they had a like uh like like women of different heights and stuff to kind of get the unreality of the situation but huh. that's a woman and they just kind of like tightly light her eyes mm-hmm. that's all you kind of get the impression of this old elderly woman with a bun and these like crazy fucking eyes um i i thought because i was when i saw the shadow coming in i i've seen the scene but I, I don't remember i'm like i wonder how they hide the fact that this is but they did they did a great job and yeah. they just, they just switch it and then obviously the music in this scene is iconic. It's about as iconic as music gets. It's this and Star Wars, right? Um, for most iconic mm-hmm. stuff. The Jaws. Like if you want to go like. Yes. It, Halloween. It's, it's, I mean, you have to wait. Sure. You have to wait almost 20 years to get a, a, a villain cue this iconic. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, 
but I I was surprised at how good the music is throughout this movie because I, mm-hmm. I knew about the the killing scene, uh, the stabbing scene. I didn't know how good even from the very beginning. Right. That intro is really strong too. the the credit sequence. It's unsettling. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's disjointed. It, there's a, a. You know, the music is doing the heavy lifting here. There there's a sort of crazy tenor to it all um and then that runs kind of throughout the movie and then it's used in places a, a lot of different places and to to greater or lesser effect uh throughout the movie like there's a lot of that when she's stealing the money and you're thinking she's paranoid and she's might be starting to lose her mind uh on that drive it, and then you know later on it becomes not about her but yeah i i was very impressed by the soundtrack of this movie yeah, I, I was. I thought that uh, the main theme kind of kicking in during that long, you know, supposed to be a water, but it's not like is is got that kind of like because you don't know what's going on. You just see like the establishing mm. shot, a very particular date and time. And like, oh, what is this? And the movie and the music is, like I said, unsettling. Um, and they the, uh, that's another thing is uh, I guess the composer was paid hardly anything. Mm. And to make it worth his while uh, kind of like Hitchcock himself. He was, he wanted to use a full orchestra, but he was limited to just using mostly strings. Gotcha. And that is what, in fact, and, and Hitchcock has said, he also wanted not everything in the hotel to have no music at all. to kind of, um, you know, highlight the unnaturalness and, and, and the inhumanity of Bates. But this guy uh, crushed it so hard that not only did uh, Hitchcock in a rare instance of admitting he was wrong, like, no, no, your shit's way better. I I was wrong to <laughs> bust you out. He doubled the guy's salary. Nice. Out of his own pocket. Yeah. And probably so. like made a career for him, too. Honestly, like this is the I don't know. I, I, I am unsure how well uh, the audience received this and critics received this during the time. Was this considered? Oh, it was wildly successful. This is the okay. most money that Hitchcock ever made on a film, and nice. Uh, the studio tried to screw him out. They they were only going to pay him like I think his going rate was like two fifty. They're only going to pay him like one twenty five, half that. He's like, well, you know what? If this movie's going to suck so bad, why don't you just give me some points on the back end? Mm-hmm. He made like the equivalent of fifteen million dollars <laughs> on this film of nice. modern day money. So yeah. it's a kind of a George Lucas tale where he right. had to kind of do it on a shoestring budget. Why don't you give me mother, the merchandising? Uh, necessity being <laughs> the mother of the invention. Yeah. And he just like this movie made crazy bank because it was all it's all like Hitchcock was good at does marketing too. like, you know, that he is a master of suspense and he's demanding you to be there on time or he's going to kill the fucking theater owner. Yeah. And I guess they had a really good television campaign <laughs> where uh, at the time is popular to compare name brands to brand X unfavorably and Hitchcock gets out there and his big, you know, kind of like, uh, you know what Hitchcock sounds like. And he's like, uh, other, the, the, you know, comparing my movie to brand X and he like, uh, opened up a curtain and it was just like hokey country Western music. Cause Westerns were the dominant, uh, it's like the superheroes of today. Yeah, yeah. And then he goes and, and, and he goes, and this is, uh, the name brand Hitchcock movie. And he opens up the shower curtain and you have like a, a stylized version of the Janet Lee, her face getting screamed and the, and the music and like, everybody was a buzz to see this film and the word of mouth of like, this is a fucking crazy. And it's like, 
you know, like you're going to be gasping and it's it's yeah, it's kind of like, I guess, the sixth sense of its day. Hmm. It's interesting because I was trying to think of a movie that has happened in my lifetime where people have gotten this excited or or I guess the marketing has been this sort of in your face because like the marketing now consists of trailers that drop and critic reviews right and and I mean, on, it's just, like people posting about it online so well that's our happen, right so I'm sure there's well, traditional I'm, things where if you watch football and network TV you get some but I, I well I'm I thinking like of, of, of the creators like Christopher Nolan doesn't get out there like this is the equivalent of Christopher Nolan saying fuck you I'm not putting my movie in on streaming I'm putting it in theaters because like he's right. the auteur now right but he's not doing that kind of like showmanship yeah. stuff he's just kind of being an asshole about things yeah, the, the last few movies I can think of are the two obvious ones I go to are The Sixth Sense and The Matrix because The Sixth Sense was heavily marketed as the mind-blowing twist that you won't see coming, you know, uh, hmm. and, and like you like this fear of missing out, like see it before someone can spoil you. And the what is the Matrix campaign from The Matrix, like just incredible hype for the I just remember just just incredible hype for The Matrix. Um, yeah, but you're right. They Shuttle don't really has that has that yeah. element. But is he out there actively Had. being that, or is that something that is? Well, they right they had, did stay, like he he started becoming the new Hitchcock, where they'd be like from the mind of him, and like they they it did lean into like his and probably for, to his detriment the idea that like oh you know another mind blowing twist from the creator of Signs and the Sixth Sense, and eventually he just couldn't live up to that. Yeah, but for like devil or something they're not playing his music in the lobby saying five minutes until devil no five five minutes until the doors lock and no one else can get in right that they don't do that shit anymore it's such a mass-produced mainstream system is is also just so much less powerful than it used to be i mean maybe we're getting that way for sure he's just going to like you know demand that people play avengers music in the lobby of the thing i mean they could but like yeah back in the day Holy fuck, like Warner MGM, like they could just, they mm-hmm. could, they could, they, well, they could, all had their own theaters too, right? Like they, they were vertically integrated in a, I wasn't very monopolistic oh way. Jesus, we're going to recreate the old studio system for the, well, it's in the contracts that you can't. And I think like, really? It, yeah. I mean, the, the theaters and the studios have very specific contracts about what you can and can't do. And Disney is not allowed to own theaters. Like they broke is that, that, a, that, is that. Is that a law or is that a contract? Because like I'm one. Because like it's. It feels, I think it's just it, an agreement. It, I, I've, okay, because I feel like we're ten years away from there being uh, from either AMC or Cinemark uh, going out of business. Maybe Regal and D, and 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 Disney buys them up, and then because they just have such a lion's share of the output of movies that they can like make and break theater chains. Oh yeah, Sing, unilaterally renegotiate terms like. Hey, we're going to resolve our shit date and time on our uh, 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 streaming outlet and go pound sand if you don't like it. Or we'll we might give you a week of exclusivity if it's make a movie or, you know, like stuff like that. So, like, I, I uh, and, you know, theaters are trying to dictate, OK, you need X amount of days before it goes to streaming and all that stuff. And all those yeah. agreements are happening. But like it, there was I don't know if it was a law or some agreement, but th- there was a very vicious fight. I want to say sometime around this era. Of, of psycho 
um, over like studios owning theaters and trying to break that off because it was just killing, you know, innovation and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Monopoly power tends to do that. It does. It does. (laughs) How many, how many times will we teach you this lesson, old man? Uh, Yeah. I don't know. Uh, what else do we have to say about Psycho? Because I think I'm I'm about uh, chocolate syruped out. I've I've my life's syrup has bled out onto the bathroom tile that is this podcast, <laughs> and I just have a glassy fixed stare into the camera. Yeah, uh, I thought it was very good. I was, I was very impressed with this movie. So that's all yeah, I and say. I'd say, even though this movie did not work for me and I did not enjoy the experience. Like I am not an asshole. I completely recognize its greatness. I can, can like if I, and, and I'm so glad that Jim did have this experience yeah, because yeah. it kind of vindicated like, Oh, this movie does still work. If you didn't, you know, if I'd seen all the big reveals of Rearview mirror, maybe it wouldn't have been as, as cool as it was. So like, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we have both had these like different experiences with it because I would hate for us both to be like, yeah, one of the greatest suspense horror films of all time. Eh, <laughs> eh, you know, and I, I think uh, that's the thing. Like, I imagine there's a lot of especially Gen Xers because I th- I feel like, yeah, like millennials are too young to remember all of like, you know, their parents talking about this shit and, you know, seeing the, you know, the 20 year old AMC dot com things. Um, but like, I imagine there's a lot of people yeah. in my age range that probably have not seen Psycho and feel like they have, and they might watch it and be like, "What was the big deal?" But uh, yeah, like I was thinking, my dad would have been like 20 when this movie came out. So, and this this movie, it's are there movies? So are there movies that break the mold like this nowadays? Like how how can you do it? Because I feel like everything has been done. And I'm sure they would have said that in 1960 before this movie came out. Everything has been done, right? Oh, I think you can like uh, there's still Saw, boundaries. I, I think push. Saw was like a, a movie that broke a lot of boundaries. Um, I think in the, the same I, way I, that this I'll movie go did. back to the Matrix, like that broke a lot of like boundaries in terms of storytelling mm-hmm. and visuals. But I think, I mean, you know, if I if I see social mores that are about ready to be destroyed. Uh, erect male penises. Oh, on film. you don't yeah. see him. Yeah. Like I'm saying, like it's you can true. definitely like we have moved the violence about as far as you can get. I don't know how you can get more violent than what they're doing in like the Suicide Squad, the boys, uh, stuff like that's that's even like intended to be like PG-13 accessible type of stuff. Right. Um, I think I think the where we are still far behind, particularly in this country, is the sexual stuff. Mm. Like. You know, seeing 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 dudes flopping around with boners is probably as subversive today as seeing, you know, Janet Leigh rolling around in white lingerie, you know, or mm-hmm. cleavage decolletage spilling out. So, like, I think they can still push those boundaries. And you also see, like, I think it seems like this. I feel like it's gross, but like there's also a, uh, a fascination with incest in popular culture right oh, now. Seem, seemingly, I mean, it's like fucking. Like there was a time on HBO where I don't think you could go a year without getting a plot uh, having to do with incest. You had Boardwalk Empire, you had Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. You had, so like I, I do feel like there are taboos. Um, and every time I see it, like there is a there is an intense guy on guy sex scene in the first season of American Gods uh, huh. where this genie is fucking a cab driver. And I remember thinking like, wow, that's something you don't see every day. Huh. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I, I think that's where. That's where the lines are. Will, it can be pushed because society has pushed the violence to where I, I don't I don't yeah, even know yeah. 
what depraved horrific shit you could do and like raise people's pulses now so yeah i don't know even from a filmmaking techniques uh kind of perspective this movie was groundbreaking and yeah we'll see we'll see what the matrix 4 does i wonder if that's got anything it is hard because you're right like it's is as things get more and more kinetic and like drones and digital technology get better and better like i mean the avengers in its way in game was kind of groundbreaking like what marvel did with it so it's still be a bit it's just like it's harder and harder you know you break the sound barrier and it's a big deal yeah, and then a couple years later you go into space finer. yeah exactly yeah. so yeah, I'm, I'm sure there will be I something that, that blows those kind of off. Those kind of leaps are happening in video games all the time because that's like comparatively yeah. like we're in the like 1930s in video games becoming a mature art form. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're like just at the turn of the you know from silent to talkies and color, like you know. So we're, that that still is happening, but movies it's it's harder to it's harder to innovate. For that's sure. why 3D keeps coming back over and over again, right? 3D movies are that's trying just the one to get thing it. where people uh-huh. people add something new, it's something groundbreaking. You know, Avatar made a shit ton of money, right? <laughs> right. Jaws 3D that was a thing. <laughs> uh, speaking of Jaws, guess what? Uh, next week that's going to be our classic horror movie, I believe. Yeah, uh, we're going to do Jaws 1975. It's, I, it's horror. I would definitely call it horror, right? And uh, it's prestigious. I don't think there's any science fiction elements to it. Um, I'm excited because I think that's another one where like that movie terrified me and really changed my relationship with the water. Yeah, but like you, and I don't know everybody. how. I don't know how well the, the last third of that movie is going to hold up. Because uh, like technically, like the look of the shark, shark animatronic that shark. I don't know. I haven't seen this movie in a good fifteen years. So same uh, here. And I'm I'm gonna try to watch it with my son to see if I can get those fresh eyes because I know he's never he has no idea what kind of jelly this movie is going to be serving up because there are some like early on some horrific scenes. Um. So yeah, yeah that's what we'll be doing to close out our spooky, uh, pres- prestige movies. I wish there was a, a p word. So I can alliterate, but I, I don't know. There's a scary P word. Also, is it, is it alliteration when you're saying it and it's a different sound? Because no, it's not it's like psycho. Yeah. Right? <laughs> no, no, it's not psycho. <laughs> yeah, psychotic. That's it. It's our psychotic prestige movies. They both start with P. Uh, there you go. Okay, Prestige is the alliteration. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah come back for uh jaws uh celebrate halloween week with us uh thank you for listening to this prestige podcast we'll see you next week for jaws until then i'm aaron and i'm jim later